0: Welcome to NTD News Today, I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Pentagon is now investigating Ukraine war documents that have reportedly been posted online. A Ukrainian official says Russia is behind the leak. A disinformation game, that's what former President Trump calls President Biden's claim that Trump is at fault for the Afghanistan withdrawal chaos. Who's responsible? We'll break down what each side is saying. Bud Light's choosing of transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney has caused a firestorm among conservatives. They're calling for boycotts, while others think it's an overreaction. Former college swimmer Riley Gaines is assaulted at San Francisco State University. She was giving a speech on protecting women's sports. Prioritizing Oregon recipients based on race instead of medical need, the federal government is allegedly planning on doing that. A legal group is investigating the issue. The U.S. is investigating a purported leak of classified military documents. A Pentagon official says what appears to be screenshots of classified U.S. and NATO military information about Ukraine are circulating on social media. NTD hasn't independently verified the images for authenticity. The Pentagon Deputy Press Secretary would not weigh in on the document's legitimacy, but in a statement said the Defense Department is aware of the reports and reviewing the matter. An advisor to the Ukrainian president said he believes Russians are behind the purported leak, adding that the documents are based on a large amount of fictitious information. Whether the documents are genuine or not, this has heightened focus on when the planned Ukrainian counteroffensive will begin. Meanwhile, a Kremlin spokesperson says Russia doesn't doubt the U.S. and NATO's involvement in the war, but that won't influence the outcome of the special operation. Tech company Microsoft and multiple hospital groups are now using a federal court order to help cut off cyber criminals' access to a hacking tool around the world. This is one of the biggest moves yet by tech firms and hospitals to combat ransomware attacks that have crippled U.S. healthcare providers for years. The federal court order allows Microsoft to cut off the communication between mainly Russian speaking hackers and the bootleg version of the software used to get into a victim's network. Some of the attacks include forcing ambulances to be diverted or chemotherapy appointments to be canceled. Microsoft says the order won't eliminate the malicious use of the software, but will use the information seized from the hackers to go after other infrastructure they use. Former President Trump fires back at claims made in a new White House report on the Afghanistan withdrawal. That report says Trump is responsible for the chaos that unfolded because his administration wouldn't share information about its deal with the Taliban. Trump calls that claim a disinformation game. Here's more.
1: On Thursday, former President Trump posted this on Truth Social. I saw them take out the military first, give $85 billion of military equipment, allow killing of our soldiers and leave Americans behind. Biden is responsible. No one else. Biden says Trump's to blame for the chaotic withdrawal, but Trump calls that a disinformation game. Here's some context to Trump's claims. First, were Americans left behind as the military withdrew? President Biden set the final deadline to withdraw troops to August 31st. According to the Pentagon, hundreds of Americans were still in the country about two months later. Half wanted to stay, but the other half did not. As to the equipment left behind, it was billions of dollars worth, but not quite as much as Trump stated. Trump's $85 billion number likely stems from the total amount of American funding to Afghan security forces over two decades. That includes salaries, training, ammo and gas, and hardware like tanks, drones and helicopters. That equipment amounts to about $24 billion. And out of all of that since 2001, the State Department says the U.S. left $7 billion worth in Afghanistan. And as for fatalities, 13 U.S. service members and an estimated 170 Afghan civilians died in a terrorist attack at Kabul airport on August 26, 2021. Biden has vowed to hunt down the terrorists, despite the U.S. military not being present in the country any longer. Biden's review blaming Trump came out on Thursday. It alleges that Biden had few good options and received few details from the Trump administration surrounding its Doha agreement with the Taliban, even after asking for them. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said Thursday that Biden's team wasn't constrained, but choose not to follow through with the plan that Trump's administration left behind. He added that the military consistently advised against setting a public date for the withdrawal, predicting that the Taliban would take advantage of it. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said of the fall of Kabul, This was seen as a very low probability, but obviously potentially very high impact event, and more could and should have been done to prepare for it. According to the National Security Council report, the U.S. has now changed its policy to start evacuation sooner during worsening security conditions. Reporting by NTD News.
0: Congressman Byron Donalds endorses former President Donald Trump for president in 2024, declaring him the only leader who can get America back on track. In a lengthy April 6th statement, Donald says the 2024 presidential race is uniquely important and marks a critical turning point in both U.S. and world history. He then urged voters to choose a leader who is best equipped to lead the country and has, in his words, a willingness to sacrifice everything to save our republic. Donald says too many Americans have given up hope because of conditions in the country right now. He goes on to write that Trump is the man for the moment. Donald's is the latest Florida lawmaker to endorse Trump for president in 2024, with the former president also securing endorsements from Congressman Matt Gates and Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna. Big companies and who they choose to sponsor them are in the spotlight. Conservatives are fired up over Bud Light's partnership with transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney. And today's Daniel Monahan brings us more.
2: Mulvaney posted a video on Instagram last weekend, along with several cans of Bud Light to promote a March Madness basketball contest.
0: This month I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it.
2: Kid Rock responded with a video saying, grandpa's feeling a little frisky today. Let me uh, say something to all you and be as clear and concise as possible. Country singer Travis Tritt says there's no place for Anheuser-Busch products on his tour. While professional skateboarder Taylor Silverman called out companies for taking opportunities away from women on Fox News.
3: I don't want to be the last generation of girls to have experience, fairness and equal opportunity in sports like I was afforded as a child.
2: Silverman mentions how Mulvaney has done partnerships with other companies like Tampax, Kate Spade and Crest. And the transgender activist now has a paid partnership with Nike to model sports bras and leggings on social media.
3: It's disappointing to see someone making a mockery of females be applauded for it.
2: But Silverman says the good news is people can vote with their dollars to punish companies she says are not respecting women. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy said on Fox News that Bud Light is alienating their customer base with the sponsorship. They're doing it because they want to be, especially the people who run the company, want to be popular in their own insular circles. There's special ratings applied to CEOs like the Corporate Equality Index. But others disagree. Bartender Angelica Cabrera applauds Bud Light for having a trans person as a spokesperson.
3: America represents what being free is, and being free is representing your own self.
2: While Angela Duarte thinks the only problem is with what she called men's fragile masculinity.
3: They think that like them drinking it will make them transgender or make them be more less of a man, which it doesn't.
2: Anheuser-Busch says the company works with hundreds of influencers, calling it a way to authentically connect with audiences across various demographics. The company called the Mulvaney can a commemorative one to celebrate a personal milestone which is not for sale to the general public. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Former NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines was physically attacked at San Francisco State University. The assault took place after a speech to students about saving women's sports. Gaines shared a video on Twitter after she appeared at a Turning Point USA event on the campus. It showed her being rushed away by police officers as protesters scream at her. Riley's husband says she was locked in a room for nearly three hours for her safety. Riley told her husband she was hit multiple times by a guy in a dress. Gaines called the incident proof that women need sex-protected spaces. And in that vein, a male teen who identifies as female is charged with planning to carry out mass shooting attacks on multiple schools and churches in Colorado Springs. 19-year-old William Whitworth identifies as Lily and is currently in a county jail. Arrest records obtained by local news outlets show Whitworth previously attended three schools in Colorado Springs over a two-year period. The teen allegedly made multiple references to school shootings and even threats. A family then contacted the local sheriff's office with concerns. Law enforcement officials confirmed that the student had been planning a shooting for months and had a lot of knowledge about how to carry it out. Schools and colleges across the U.S. could soon be forbidden to enact outright bans on transgender athletes. That's if a proposal released yesterday from the Biden administration goes through. The proposed rule would become enshrined as a provision of Title IX if finalized. That's a gender equity law enacted in 1972. No school or college that gets federal funding would be allowed to impose transgender bans. Sports teams would be allowed certain limits, such as eligibility rules around fairness in competition and injury reduction. The proposal comes the same day the Supreme Court temporarily struck down West Virginia's ban on transgender athletes. That's until legal battles over the state's law are decided. At least 16 states have bans in effect covering high school sports. Some also extend to club or college sports. The Biden administration's proposal must go through a lengthy approval process. It's almost certain to face legal challenges. A new bill would allow parents in Kansas to remove their children from lessons on LGBT topics. Parents would be able to choose an alternate activity for their K-12 through kids. This, if the lessons don't align with their beliefs, values, or principles. The Republican House and Senate have both passed the bill. and now goes to the desk of Democratic Governor Laura Kelly. Many states have recently passed laws to fight left-wing subject matter in classrooms around the country. Conservative lawmakers have called lessons on LGBT topics and critical race theory indoctrination. CRT teaches that white people are inherently privileged and that non-white people are inherently oppressed. Armed tax agents. The IRS commissioner is detailing the plan to hire more. The IRS Criminal Investigation Division examines potential criminal activity related to tax crimes and then makes recommendations to the Justice Department. Agents in the division are authorized to carry guns and use lethal force. The IRS commissioner said the hiring rate for the division will stay at 2.6% of the overall workforce, but the IRS was given $80 billion in new funding through the Inflation Reduction Act. The new cash infusion is being used to hire thousands of new employees, and so the 2.6 figure would be taken from a larger overall workforce. Republicans warn that the money would be used to hire an army of 87,000 tax enforcers to target ordinary Americans, but supporters of the expansion say the funding would be used to audit high earners and help with customer service. The federal government is allegedly planning to prioritize organ recipients based on their race instead of medical need. A legal group is now investigating the issue. Here are the details.
1: America First Legal Foundation, or AFL, has filed a Freedom of Information Act request. They suspect the Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, is planning to make race a factor in prioritizing organ transplant recipients. AFL is now seeking all HHS records relating to organ transplantation that include mentions of race, ethnicity, discrimination, and other such terms. The foundation says on February 16, 2023, President Biden continued his radical, racist, and fundamentally anti-American overhaul of every federal function under the guise of equity by signing a new executive order. The reference executive order instructs federal agencies to establish equity-focused leadership teams to prevent and remedy discrimination, including by protecting the public from algorithmic discrimination. HHS recently also started efforts to what AFL calls racialized health policy. The foundation thus suspects that those efforts, combined with the executive order, suggest that the Biden administration plans to unlawfully alter the organ donation system. AFL accuses the government of planning to allocate organs based on the race of the recipient rather than medical need. In 1984, the government established the National Organ Transplant Act. The law says that organ allocation has to be done in accordance with established medical criteria. The senior counsel for the AFL told the Epoch Times, the only factors that can be used to allocate life-saving organ transplants are medical criteria, not race. This is a dangerous path and Americans deserve to know exactly what's happening behind the scenes. NTD reached out to HHS for comment, but didn't immediately hear back.
0: A conservative activist and author wants to make people colorblind. Kenny Hsu is crusading against race-based admissions policies and warns about choosing future doctors based on skin color, not excellence. NTD's Daniel Monaghan has the report.
2: Author Kenny Hsu is the son of Chinese immigrants. They sacrificed a lot to give him the American dream and a life in a free country. And they taught him not to waste that freedom.
4: You know, yeah, you're free to be lazy in this country. You can even get some money to be lazy. But that's not the way to have a successful life. That's not the way to impact your community. That's not the way to be a blessing to others. So my parents taught me those values to really respect hard work. Um, And so that's why I have such a low tolerance for victimhood.
2: Kenny is calling out universities for using race-based admissions policies
4: like diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI. They say, for example, well, there are not enough black doctors, which there aren't. There are not There are very few black doctors in our country. But their solution is to forcibly increase the number of black people getting admitted into medical school, even with lower standards and qualifications. So that amounts, of course, to a system of enforced mediocrity where a person will get promoted for being the right victim class.
2: Kenny is also advocating for an end to critical race theory being taught in the school system.
4: It basically asserts that America is a systematically racist country towards black people. And this theory is now being taught in our education schools and directly to children in America today, demeaning them, making them feel like victims, making them feel like societies against them.
2: He says this is the worst thing to teach young children.
4: The idea of teaching that society is racist towards them only serves to hurt their mental health and increase their depression and anxiety about the world.
2: Kenny is fighting
4: against DEI policies through his organization, Color Us United. Most Americans get along. Most Americans do not want DEI or wokeness. They don't want to be told that they are racists. They don't want to be told that they need to have more black friends, they need to have more Asian friends, they're fine and they're comfortable in their community. Kenny says DEI is racism because it asks people to look at race. You notice you go to any diversity training, they never talk about why you should be colorblind. Being colorblind is the American ideal.
2: He criticized discrimination against Asian Americans at Harvard
4: in his book, An Inconvenient Minority. Asians have to score for 440 points higher on the SAT to have the same chance of admission as a black student.
2: Kenny says the real solution to racial gaps is not DEI or race-based
4: admissions, but good old-fashioned hard work. Asian Americans show that with hard work and study you can succeed in America. In fact, Asian Americans study twice as many hours as the average American. It's not about their race, it's their study habits.
2: Kenny fears America is returning to segregation based on racial resentment. He is calling on people to wake up and see DEI and CRT for what he says they really are. Kenny's new book, School of Woke, How Critical Race Theory Infiltrated American Schools and Why We Must Reclaim Them is due out in August. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: An avalanche hit a mountain resort in Utah on Thursday. The incident put the ski area under lockdown. Witnesses' footage shows Snowbird Village rescuers searching for casualties amid piles of snow. The ski resort later issued a statement confirming that no one was injured or buried in the incident. Before that, Snowbird Village shut down for several days due to heavy snow and avalanche warnings. Resort guests had to stay inside their shelters, but the lockdown was lifted Thursday morning. Local authorities say there is still a high risk of avalanches in the surrounding area. An unusual rescue Tuesday by Alaska's Air National Guard just two miles away from Russian territory. A National Guard spokesperson says a pregnant woman on the Alaskan west coast island of Little Diomede fell ill with severe abdominal pains. Little Diomede is only two miles from Russia's Big Diomede because the island is so small, the National Guard team had to use a combat helicopter to lift her off the island and take her to a hospital 130 miles away. With bad weather, mountain passes, and air refueling, the entire mission was about 660 miles each way. And in a dramatic rescue in Indiana, quick-thinking officers rescued six people from a burning house, including a baby. Early Monday morning in Frankfort, Indiana, dispatchers got a call about people trapped in a house. Frankfort police say within one minute of the call, officers were on the scene. Flames were shooting out of the front of the house and heavy smoke was preventing anyone from exiting the second floor. Officers grabbed a ladder and moved people out safely through a window. A person nervously handed over a baby in a car seat, saying to the officers, please don't drop her. The officers involved in the rescue are said to be honored at a later date. The cause of the fire is under investigation. An air traffic controller shortage is leading to fewer flights. United Airlines plans to reduce summer flights at three New York and D.C. area airports due to the shortage. The announcement came yesterday after the Federal Aviation Administration gave permission. Starting next month, daily departures from Newark Liberty International Airport will be reduced from 438 to just 408 on peak summer travel days. Daily flights between Newark and Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport will drop from 18 to 10, while New York LaGuardia Airport to Washington Dulles International Airport will see daily departures decrease from 9 to 6. In many cases, United will fly larger aircraft to minimize disruption to passengers, but more flights could be cut beginning in June. Earlier this week, American Airlines announced it would join other major carriers in temporarily cutting some New York City area flights. And just ahead, the U.S. is ramping up weapons delivery to Taiwan. Congressman Michael McCall made the pledge during his visit to the island. European leaders visit China and urge Chinese leader Xi Jinping to help end the war in Ukraine. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. A senior U.S. lawmaker is visiting Taiwan, close on the heels of the trip by Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen to the U.S. Washington says it will speed up arms deliveries to Taiwan.
5: We want peace and prosperity and we want to do everything we can to deter a very aggressive nation, Communist China, from ever thinking
6: about landing on the shores of this beautiful island.
0: Representative Michael McCall is leading a delegation to Taipei for a three day visit. McCall is set to meet with Tsai Ing wen on Saturday. The talks are expected to focus on arms deliveries to Taiwan. While Washington has signed off on arms deals, the deliveries are facing massive delays. That's because manufacturers are shifting supplies to Ukraine as part of support against the Russian invasion. While a crackdown on China's forced organ harvesting awaits passage into U.S. law, Beijing has devised new ways to shift the blame. It's now trying to drag other nations down into the mud. Here's the latest.
3: China proposed a so-called organ-sharing platform in January, peddling what it calls donated organs to Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan, and countries involved in its Belt and Road Initiative. The proposal, made by the CCP's former deputy health minister, Huang Jiefu, the one in charge of China's transplantation scheme. Huang has drawn international scorn for alleged involvement in the regime's live organ harvesting crimes.
6: There's a a nonsense nonsense. I don't want yeah. to answer the questions yeah. because you uh, no. Well how come oh. I, 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 I rang up I was, no. able, I was offered a liver yeah. very yeah. quickly but, but you, from you, a hospital in China. You, how is that possible? I don't want to listen and answer, answer the question.
3: The source of transplanted organs in China remains controversial. Numerous reports and experts say the regime holds incarcerated prisoners of conscience as a pool of organ donors. Most of them are Falun Gong practitioners and other religious minorities. According to USA Today, an estimated 25 to 50,000 inmates are murdered each year for their organs.
7: Although the Chinese Communist Party claims to have established a so-called organ donation system in 2015, its transparency and traceability have remained remarkably low. The use of prisoners' organs and live organ harvesting is still ongoing.
3: Teresa Chu is the leader of an NGO coalition, the Universal Declaration on Combating and Preventing Forced Organ Harvesting. She urges the world to turn away from what she called Beijing's organ diplomacy. With this organ-sharing system, the CCP is seeking to whitewash the stolen, forcibly or live-harvested organs. This is not humane cooperation. We repeat, this is a search for complicity on an international level. News also broke that groups in Japan and South Korea are eyeing organ-sharing with communist China. This has sparked a wave of backlash in both countries.
7: They had pledged to end transplant tourism by the 2008 Beijing Olympics, but failed to keep their promise. These false commitments were made to evade accusations of their live organ harvesting practices. Huang Jiefu is the responsible one. We should think about what kind of cooperation we would have with such a person and such a group.
1: If we join China in organ sharing, it would mean more demand, and more innocent Chinese people will be involved.
4: The Japanese people, who value human rights and the ethics of transplantation, will never share organs of unknown origins that could have been forcibly removed from living human beings the international community must not participate in the most heinous crime in human history.
3: Back in 2014, China's then-deputy health minister Huang already visited Taiwan to push his cross-strait organ transplant platform. Both Taiwan and Hong Kong turned down his offer.
0: In closely watched talks, EU chief Ursula von der Leyen and France's President Macron met with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in Beijing. Macron said the West should engage China to end the Ukraine war and prevent spiraling tensions that could split global powers into warring blocs. Von der Leyen stated that she did not see decoupling from China as a viable or desirable strategy.
5: French President Emmanuel Macron and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen on Thursday met with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in Beijing. It's von der Leyen's first trip to China since taking office as European Commission President in 2019.
8: The European Union and China today have extensive and complex relations. How we manage these relations will be a determining factor for our future economic prosperity. This is why I do not see decoupling from China. As a viable or desirable strategy, but equally, I do see a number of risks that Europe needs to address.
5: Macron said Europe must resist reducing trade and diplomatic ties with Beijing. He's traveled with a 50 strong business delegation, including Airbus and nuclear energy producer EDF. Our
8: approach
5: is not anti Chinese, it's pro European. I think us Europeans want to trade with you by respecting that the Chinese leader has pro-China determinations. We want to trade and develop things with pro-European determinations. Deep down, Europe is a huge market, a power, but it's also a power that wants to develop its industry and to protect its key sectors. Macron and von der Leyen traveled to China in a show of European unity and in support of Ukraine in the face of Russia's invasion. Von der Leyen said she warned China not to send arms to Russia.
8: And I want to be very clear on that one, that arming the aggressor is a clear violation of international law. It's the aggressor, and he should never be armed. And this would indeed significantly harm the relationship between the European Union um, and China.
5: Macron arrived in Beijing late on Wednesday, one day earlier than von der Leyen. He urged Xi to reason with Russia and help bring an end to the war in Ukraine. The Russian aggression in Ukraine has dealt a blow to this stability. It ended decades of peace in Europe. I know I can count on you. Moreover, under the two principles I've just mentioned, to bring Russia to its senses and everyone to the negotiating table. The EU leader's visit to China comes after years of souring relations with Beijing over issues including accusations of rights abuse in Xinjiang, a stalled investment pact, and China's reluctance to condemn Russia over its Ukraine invasion.
0: Russia has arrested a U.S. citizen on espionage charges. Evan Gershkovich is a Wall Street Journal reporter. Western leaders and the reporter's colleagues say he's not a spy, so who is he? Here's more.
7: Evan Gershkovich, the Wall Street Journal correspondent Russia has arrested on spying charges, has reported on Russia for six years. He's a fluent Russian speaker, an American born to Soviet emigres, and raised in New Jersey. His reports examined the fallout of Moscow's war in Ukraine and how it was changing Russia. And friends say he knew that was risky. Gershkovich has pleaded not guilty. This was the reaction from the White House.
8: This espionage charges are ridiculous. The targeting of American citizens by Russian government is unacceptable. We condemn the detention of Mr. Gershkovich in the strongest, in the strongest terms.
7: Gershkovich joined the journal just as Russia invaded Ukraine last year. He'd live in London, but traveled to Russia frequently as an officially accredited correspondent. It was on one such trip to the industrial town of Yekaterinburg in the Ural Mountains that he was arrested in late March by the Federal Security Service, or FSB.
3: The allegations made by our intelligence services today were not related to his journalism. They are related to non-journalistic activity.
7: Among Gershkovich's reports were indications Russian forces were taking heavy losses and a detailed account of what went wrong with the invasion plan. He contributed to a piece arguing that an isolated and distrustful President Vladimir Putin had built a power structure that fueled his military miscalculations. Western leaders, rights groups, activists, and colleagues have called for his immediate release.
0: If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at Coming up, architects of the agreement that brought peace to Northern Ireland look back at what it took to get there 25 years after the Good Friday talks. Romanian farmers protest the cheap Ukrainian grain that is currently hurting local farmers. More shortly here on NTD News Today. President Biden is planning to visit Northern Ireland, but authorities are preparing for a potential terrorist attack that they warn could happen.
5: We're now dealing with a a severe terrorist threat, which means an attack is highly likely right across Northern Ireland. The other issue, of course, we're dealing with, uh, it's hugely important for us, is Operation Rondoletto. That's the policing operation which wraps around all the Good Friday Agreement events, which start clearly with the visit
2: of the president next week.
0: Northern Ireland police say they are preparing for the worst The police service of Northern Ireland confirmed it received credible information that dissidents were planning significant violence on Easter Monday, a day before Biden's highly anticipated visit to the country. Officers are now being moved to frontline duties on longer shifts to counter any potential threats. Chief Constable Simon Byrne says the force is using a policing strategy that hasn't been used in years and it reflects the exceptional circumstances. Irish dissidents traditionally mark the anniversary of the 1916 Easter Rising Rebellion against British rule on Easter Monday. Biden is set to visit Belfast on Tuesday to mark the 25th anniversary of the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, the Northern Ireland peace deal that brought an end to 30 years of fighting. That deal potentially saved thousands of lives. It was crafted in April 1998 by then Prime Minister Tony Blair and his Irish counterpart Bertie Hearn. Today, the former leaders hope that it can inspire a route out of today's deep political deadlock.
5: Ahead of the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, some of its architects remember the back and forth negotiations that led to one of the most significant peace deals of the late 20th century.
6: So when we turned up in, in Belfast that, that, that April, the thing was in a state of collapse. So I didn't think we would get an agreement. And throughout the, the course of the next days as we negotiated, through the day and then through the night, or most of the night, it, it would be, sometimes it would be on and sometimes it would be off. Shortly before it was announced, it was off, and then we put it back on again. But it was, it was an extraordinary roller coaster. Many unionists
5: would not talk directly to representatives of Sinn Féin, the political ally of the IRA, and instead used Blair and his Irish counterpart Bertie Ahern as middlemen. Ahern said the pressure and dilemma was huge. It wasn't
6: so much worried that. You know, if we didn't do an agreement, because nobody really expected that we would finalise it. Um, I was hopeful, but nobody expected. But I was worried about what the consequences of that were. And I think, I think we all agree, um, all the parties and the governments agree, that I- if it had been a failure, um, the, the, the violence would have you know, started again at, at, at a, a fairly intense level. I think, unfortunately, that was inevitable.
5: Ahern said David Trimble, the key Unionist leader, drafted a letter to Blair
6: saying the talks were over. HUGE DIFFICULTIES ON NORTH-SOUTH, I mean, they, they, the famous John Taylor one, which is the normal quote, I wouldn't touch you with a 45-foot barge pole. So that created huge problems on the week of the talks.
5: Finally, the historic agreement was struck on April 10th between Irish nationalists seeking a united Ireland and pro-British unionists wanting to remain part of
6: the U.K. You know, the the media were outside, the pressure was building, and in a funny way that helped, because people thought, look, this really is an historic moment, so you make it work or you don't, and now's the time to do it.
5: The Good Friday Agreement has largely ended three decades of sectarian violence that killed 3,600 people. Gerry Adams was another key player in the 1998 talks as head of the political wing of the IRA. I was reading that half a million people have been born since the Good Friday Agreement was agreed. So that's half a million people, unless they've had personal or family experience of the conflict, know nothing about it at a personal level. So that's that's also a great boon. And a space has been opened up where people can uh, moderate our differences politically. While the peace deal has transformed the region, politics has been on life support for much of the period. Brexit has plunged the Northern Irish politics into a state of near-permanent crisis. Some warn that the year-long boycott by the Democratic Unionist Party could prove a fatal blow for power-sharing. But Blair said the crisis will resolve itself eventually.
6: Old disputes, which revolve around Catholic, Protestant, you know, Nationalist, Unionist, in a in a way, in a in a modern world, it should be able, they should be able to be resolved reasonably, peacefully, but also with a, with, with the knowledge that what you can do together is so much more than if you divide on sectarian lines.
5: But the agreement has its shortcomings too. Besides the political crisis, more than ninety percent of schools in Northern Ireland remain segregated along religious lines as is housing in many areas.
0: Thousands of farmers across Romania are protesting over the impact of Ukrainian grain imports on prices. They're urging the European Commission to intervene. In the capital Bucharest, about 200 farmers protested outside the European Commission's local headquarters. Their signs read, We respected EU rules, but EU ignored us. The head of the Romanian Associations of Farmers says the protest is about unfair competition in the European community. Anger is rising among farmers in Central and Eastern Europe over a flood of cheap Ukrainian grain imports that are exempt from customs fees until June 2024. Ukraine had shipping ports blocked following the Russian invasion, but now the country uses alternative shipping routes through Poland and Romania and is aided by the EU. It caused millions of tons of cheap grain to end up in neighboring countries like Romania and hurts local grain producers. Coming up, you could soon take a taxi ride without a driver in San Francisco. Find out what it's like and if there are any glitches. A noodle restaurant in Michigan introduces a robot waiter to make up for a lack of human staff. The robot greets guests, delivers food and drinks, and even buses tables. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Car lovers rejoice! New electric vehicle models are making their debuts this week at the New York International Auto Show. Among the star models is an electric Ram pickup truck. It may look just like a normal gas-powered truck, but it's full of new technology. The 1500 Rev is built on a new frame designed specifically for larger electric vehicles. It will come with a choice of two battery packs, a standard one plus an optional larger one with up to 500 miles of range per charge. The truck can travel from zero to 60 in 4.4 seconds. That's super fast for a vehicle its size. The company says it can tow up to 14,000 pounds and carry 2,700 pounds in its bed. The truck isn't due in showrooms until next year.
7: Electric cars are the future and, and light duty trucks a huge piece of the American automotive segment, right? And so for the, for the country to move to EV, pickups moved to EV.
4: This one we're introducing today is the Kia EV9. So we consider this the future of Kia. Uh, we started you know, the love affair with Kia with the Telluride.
0: Big, bold, and boxy is how we introduced it. And in my opinion, this is the next level. The battery-powered Kia SUV comes with two powertrain options and can seat up to seven people in three rows of seats. Kia says it can go from zero to 60 in five seconds. The battery can be charged from 10% to 80% in less than half an hour. The EV9 will hit U.S. showrooms late this year. The New York Auto Show is open through April 16th. Could it soon be the norm to take a taxi without a driver? Two companies are testing the roads in San Francisco, but there are still a few hiccups. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the driverless rides.
9: In San Francisco, two taxi services are seeking approval to transport passengers without a driver. One is Cruise, a subsidiary of General Motors. The other is Waymo, owned by Alphabet, Google's parent company.
8: Here in San Francisco, we are also driving without the human uh, driver in the driver's seat in all of the city, including its densest parts. Um, it was recently announced that we will also be um, scaling our operations to Los Angeles, California.
9: But both companies have gotten complaints about their vehicles making unexpected traffic-clogging stops. They can also block emergency vehicles.
2: We do take uh, uh, flow of traffic seriously, uh, and we also take uh, seriously, you know, prioritizing actual uh, safety, uh, you know, of the environment and riders as well.
9: An Associated Press reporter described what happened after his recent ride with Waymo. It
2: suddenly
6: stopped in the middle of the street, and we were. Uh, bamboozled why and it turns out like it looked like the door was closed but it wasn't completely closed so the car probably was doing what it was supposed to do but no one could figure out what was going on and in the meantime there was a big backlog of cars behind it that couldn't get around it
9: his ride with Cruz also suffered from similar problems
6: today uh, we had a smooth landing both ways a little bit of a little bit of a problem where we got dropped off on the way out uh, by cherry who chose to drop off at a bus stop unfortunately when a bus was rolling up and that caused some commotion at the bus stop so that could have gone better.
9: Despite these issues GM predicted last fall that Cruise would generate one billion dollars in revenue by 2025.
4: So we still have work to do but um, it's improving at a pretty rapid rate and that's that's yeah. one of the, the beauties of this kind of technology it's not just the pickup and drop-off experience will get really fine-tuned and elegant over time, yeah. but also the safety continues to improve and the smoothness continue to
0: improve the human likeness, you know, how human-like the maneuvers are.
9: Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Up, up, and away, NASA and SpaceX launched a rocket early this morning from the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida. It's equipped with a NASA instrument called TEMPO, which stands for Tropospheric Emissions Monitoring of Pollution. The device is the first space-based device to monitor major air pollutants from above. It can monitor conditions from the Atlantic to the Pacific Oceans as far north as the Canadian oil sands and as far south as Mexico City. This is SpaceX's 23rd launch this year. The hospitality industry continues to struggle with a labor shortage. Now a noodle restaurant in Michigan has introduced a robot waiter to make up for the lack of human staff and today's Andrew Thomas has the details on the new hire. Follow me,
9: please. Bellabot serves customers at Noodletopia in Michigan. A touchscreen gives the robot its instructions.
1: We should have some chance, like extra opportunities to introduce the food to the customer, to attract them to, to my restaurant. So a robot is one of the option,
0: for sure. Call me if
3: you need anything.
9: Bellabot is a waist-high machine adapted for serving customers. The robot greets guests.
3: Bye.
9: Delivers food and drinks, and even buses tables.
1: When the waiters is saving a lot of trips, they don't have to waste time on the road. They can focus on server. They can focus on like, um, how's everything going with the customer.
9: <laughs> the machine is rewarded for today's service with a few scratches. We
1: have a big problem on the staffing during you know, the COVID time period. So we, we, we need some help, but we can, I cannot uh, like find people.
9: Sales of robot servers have surged in recent years. Tens of thousands of robots are now gliding through restaurants worldwide, but they're more popular in some places than others.
5: There's been this kind of challenge around consumer acceptance greatly. Uh, and in my knowledge, to my knowledge, there's a lot more acceptance of robotics in a public situation in asia than it is here in the western countries
9: others say robot waiters have a long way to go before they replace human waiters they can't take orders and many restaurants have physical challenges like steps might bring in people for a little
5: bit but ultimately whether a particular technology robotics for example can survive really depends upon how useful it has been how fast it is uh, and how how well it interacts with the consumer
9: still the robots are becoming more prevalent at some restaurants they're quite popular andrew thomas ntd news
0: cherry plants are blossoming around the world but in italy a sudden drop in temperature is taking a toll on fruits grown there cherry growers are now using pellet stoves to keep their plants warm at night they cover their plants with tarps to avert heat loss It's a complex but effective method. It has proved particularly useful for cherries. The plant is highly sensitive to temperature changes, but it's not an easy task for the farmers. They have to act quickly in the middle of this night and place numerous heaters on each plot of land. A late frost puts production at risk, meaning the loss of an entire year's harvest. Frost can also hurt the resilience of plants for years to come. And just ahead, an artist in the Czech Republic makes intricate, detailed Easter eggs. The tradition of hand painting and decorating eggs is a large part of Czech Easter. Find out more in just a minute. And retirement facilities often don't allow residents to bring their pets, but researchers in Australia say animals can bring their owners big benefits. Details to come on NTD News Today. In the Central American city of Antigua, Guatemala, Catholics are celebrating Holy Thursday with a massive procession. Antigua is home to the largest Easter procession in the world. This year, a team of Catholic faithful, draped in purple cloaks, carried a huge float through the streets. On the platform sat a statue of Jesus and his cross. The parade marked the beginning of Easter activities in the city. It's a tradition brought over by the Spanish missionaries. The city has been celebrating Easter this way since the 16th century.
1: After three very difficult years, I think people today feel very excited and are involved with their traditions. These celebrations are processions and a time to share with the family.
0: Holy Thursday is the time Christians commemorate the Last Supper. It precedes Good Friday, the day that marks the crucifixion and death of Jesus. The traditional Good Friday parade also rolled out in the German town of Bensheim. Local Italian communities acted out the crucifixion of Jesus. Hundreds gathered in the streets of the small town south of Frankfurt. The performance takes place here every Good Friday, and it's known for its detailed props and costumes. Italian immigrants in the region started the tradition 40 years ago. Although the temperatures were still cool in early spring, performers and spectators alike appreciated the event. I think it's adequate to have a day of
1: reflection. I believe especially during the current times, it does people good.
4: I am most thankful to the Italians for keeping up this tradition here in the Bergstrasse region. And my hope is that it will be carried into the next generation.
0: According to Christian belief, Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, reflecting the belief that death is not the end, but a new beginning. An artist in the Czech Republic is also preparing for Easter by making lavishly decorated eggs. The tradition has a long history and she hopes to keep it alive and today's Andrew Thomas has the colorful details.
9: In the Moravia region of the Czech Republic Marcella Hrabovská paints Easter eggs. The tradition of hand painting and decorating eggs is a large part of Czech Easter. It can take Hrabovská up to 13 hours to finish just one Easter egg. Various materials can be used for decorating, such as watercolors and onion peels. Originally, artists used whatever materials were available.
3: People were using what they found at home and near their home. Straw was for free. Since wax costs money and Hana was not a rich region, that's why this technique developed there. They were using home resources.
9: There are many Easter egg decorating techniques. The more elaborate ones require a certain level of skill. Hurabowska uses straw to decorate her eggs.
3: I use the straw decorating technique. It's called Hana Easter eggs. But in the course of time, as people were moving and carrying this tradition with them, it spread to the Brno region and even to Prague. Whenever people like this technique and they do it with love, then they carry it with them.
9: The trick is to soak rye in warm water. Slice it in half and scrape the pulp. The remaining pieces are cut into different shapes. Then they're glued into patterns over the egg. The usual designs are geometrical patterns or Christian symbols.
3: Egg decorating is a very old thing, because it was used as a gift, not only during Easter, but also for human graves. In a nearby archaeological site, one was found that dates back to the year 380, so egg decorating is a very old technique.
9: From her home, Hurabovska has decorated hundreds of Easter eggs. She sells them in local markets and exhibits at workshops. Easter is on Sunday, April 9th the Easter Bunny is expected to make a brief appearance. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: With Easter Sunday just a bunny hop away, we take a sneak peek at how the White House is all dressed up in Easter decorations for the occasion. A canopy of colored butterflies hangs gracefully above the heads of visitors, and wing decorations are dangling from thin wires. And the First Lady's commemorative egg collection is sure to impress those enamored with the tradition. This year, the First Lady is proud to display eggs designed by students from all 56 states and territories. Some of the egg themes include family, spaceships, and hot air balloons. Elderly people in care facilities are often forced to leave their pets behind, but researchers in Australia say the animals could bring benefits. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details.
9: Six-year-old Molly is curled up with her 89-year-old owner, Barry Britton. He can't imagine life without her here at Westmead Uniting Retirement Home. A
6: dog gives you uh, love all the time. It doesn't matter if you rouse at them, they still love you. (laughs) And uh, I would uh, not like to be here
2: without her.
9: Dr. Janet Young is a researcher at the University of South Australia. Young is already setting up a project putting cats in care homes. She says the animals help ease residents' loneliness, stress, anxiety and depression. But only roughly a fifth of retirement homes in Australia allow pets.
8: So there's a reason why it's not happening. It's because it's complicated. It's because of at that point people's human needs are really complex. So it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult nut to crack. But it is possible and it is important.
9: Going into an aged care facility is not an easy decision for older people. Letting go of a beloved pet makes the transition even harder.
8: It's, it's, you're adding layers of grief and loss to what's already a really, a really sad time for people. And not just taking, you're not just adding those layers of, to, of, to grief and loss, you're actually taking away a resource that could actually be beneficial for people at that time.
9: Kathy Webster is also a resident at Westmead Uniting. The 73-year-old and her husband believe their dog Muffin keeps them happy and active.
8: It is a commitment. I mean, she wakes up and says, hello, I need my walk, you know, and so we have to get up, which is good for us because we have to get up and do what we have to do, which is get up and walk, get our walking shoes on and off we go in the morning.
9: Young says the barriers to bringing animals into care homes are more concerned with cost than with hygiene. She also believes pets can make residents less likely to use expensive services and drugs. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: That's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan, NCD News, New York City.